boys and girls, Boston Bruins fans of all ages. My name is Greg Ezel, and this is the Days of Your podcast, The Optional Skate, one of your favorite hockey podcasts, probably your only favorite hockey podcast. I am not joined today by anybody. Uh, John is still fathering, being fatherly to his little newborn, Jackie Jack. Uh, Piz is on vacation, and Bree, as we touched on the show a couple weeks ago, taking a leave of absence to get some work stuff done and uh, taken care of. So I am your host, your one and only, your boy, your bottom boy, at Paz5683, at Days of Your on Twitter, Facebook.com slash Days of Your. It is going to be a pretty short podcast. I am quite confident in that, that we will not be talking about a lot. It is August 23rd, Thursday. You will be listening to this on Friday or any subsequent days after that. Because again, with one person, very easy to edit. I can basically stop and go as much as I want. I can talk about whatever I want. There is no one to stop me. No one to hold me back. No one to contain me. Uh, I was hoping that we would have a special guest on this podcast, but unfortunately, still working on that. It hasn't come to fruition yet. The hope is still there that it will. If it doesn't, I'm sorry. If it does, it's going to be really good and you guys will really much enjoy it. But I am working hard behind the scenes to make sure that that happens. So what I wanted to talk about today, one of the biggest things uh, that came out over the last week is the 2018 Boston Sports Survey. So this is done every year. Channel Media Market and Research has done this survey since 2011. Uh, They've polled more than 16,000 New England residents. Uh, 43% of those people live in Massachusetts, 26% New Hampshire, 10% Rhode Island, 9% in Connecticut, 8% live in Maine, 4% live in Vermont. 75% of those respondents were male. And 91% of those are between the age of 18 and 54. Uh, Polling took place between August 9th and August 20th. So uh, a couple of the big things that I wanted to talk about was favorite sports teams. Patriots led the way. No one should be shocked at that. Red Sox next at 30%. Celtics 14%. The Bruins at fourth with 8%. And the Revolution in last with 1%. So the reason that this is important is because it is the first time since the polling began that the Celtics leapfrogged the Bruins. And I get it. I get why people would look at the Celtics and say, these guys are my favorite. They're exciting. Uh, They have the big names, Kyrie Irving, Gordon Hayward, Al Horford, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown. These are big names. Jason Tatum could be a superstar in the NBA for the next decade. Kyrie Irving, one of the best point guards in the NBA. We can go on and on with accolades for all these guys. And I get why someone would look at the Celtics and say, that's my favorite team. When Kyrie Irving came to the Celtics last year in that uh, trade for Isaiah Thomas, and I think it ended up being the eighth overall pick, it brought a lot of people to the Celtics bandwagon. They looked at the team and they said, this is a team that is going to contend against Cleveland, against LeBron James, and could potentially make it to the NBA Finals. And the thing is, they were right. They were right. You looked at that, that squad, you looked at that lineup, up and down. 
left and right with Gordon Hayward, without Gordon Hayward, and you said, these guys can make it to the show. They can make it to the big dance. And they almost did. And they did it without Gordon Hayward. They did it without Kyrie Irving. The emergence of Jason Tatum was something I don't think a lot of people would have really predicted going into that uh, beginning of his rookie year, but it was, in my estimation, one of the best jumps that could have happened for the Celtics. To see them third doesn't surprise me. It also doesn't surprise me to see the Bruins fourth, because when you look at the team, who are the big guys? Patrice Bergeron, Brad Marchand, David Pasternak. Those are guys that have been here for a couple years. They're not, in the hockey sense... They're not huge names. You know, they're not Steven Stamkos, and they're not Connor McDavid, and they're not the type of team that just brings people in. You know, no one no one catches the Bruins in California, and they're like, I love the Bruins. I'm a huge Bruins fan. I love to watch them. And my belief is the reason that this happens, or doesn't happen, is because you don't necessarily have a big household name. If you had Sidney Crosby, or if you had Connor McDavid, or you had Stamkos or Kucherov, or any one of those guys that the league can market around, they will bring in fans They'll, on name recognition alone. Patrice Bergeron does everything right, all three zones right. He is, for my money, one of the top five centers in the NHL. Don't care what the NHL TV lists say. He is one of the top five centers in the NHL. Offensively, defensively, face-offs, it doesn't matter. But he's not a household name. And while this is a Boston survey, that name transcends Boston sports. If you go to someone who doesn't watch football and you say, do you know who Tom Brady is? They say yes. They know who Tom Brady is. Everyone knows who Tom Brady is. If you go to them and they don't know baseball, you ask them if they know David Ortiz, Probably going to say yes, you know, especially if it was back in the you know 2004 to 2014 run that they had or 17. When did he retire? 2017, I think. It doesn't surprise me that the Bruins dropped to fourth. And I think that's something that Bruins fans just have to deal with. I mean, where we as a fan base are used to being at least the third wheel, but we're used to being behind the Red Sox. And we're used to being behind the Patriots, you know, since, what, 2001? So it doesn't surprise me to see the Bruins behind the Celtics looking at the type of run that the Celtics could do. So then after that, it gets into uh, which team's leadership has done the best job in the most recent season. Bill Belichick, obviously, first. Danny Ainge, 25%. Dave Dombrowski, 25%. Cam Neely, 6%. Brian Bilello, 2%. I was a little taken aback that Cam Neely was on this list and not John Sweeney. When you look at the rest of these guys, Bill Belichick, GM, head coach, Danny Ainge, GM, Dave Dombrowski, president of baseball operations, but basically the GM. Cam Neely, president of hockey ops, not the GM. When a move is made, it's made behind Don Sweeney. And that also goes with the management performance ratings. You know, Belichick, 70%, Dombrowski, 66%, Ainge, 65%, Neely, 36%, Bilello, 20%. I don't know much about Brian Bilello. My guess is he's the Revs GM, but I'm not a soccer guy, so don't know. Uh, but when you look at all those guys again, 
Neil is the only one who necessarily doesn't pull the trigger on these trades and free agents. That's all done with at least Don Sweeney as the face. And I feel like if Don Sweeney was the, was the name there, you may see more than 6% of guys of which team leadership has done the best job in the most recent season or management performance ratings are higher than 36%. And I'm a little shocked that Neely was only at 6% because when you look at when you look at the Bruins season, it was one of their best seasons in years. So to see it only 6% knowing that if you if you can't give Sweeney credit for drafting the DeBrusques and you know I I would say Dan Heinen and and Anders Bjork and Ryan Donato, you gotta give it to Cam Neely, right? So to, for him to only be at six percent, given the 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 for him to only be at six percent, given the season that they had with the players that they had, seems a little disingenuous. But I think you can only pick one, and you're not gonna pick Cam Neely over Bill Belichick. They went to the Super Bowl. They lost, but they went. Danny Ainge, they went to the Eastern Conference Finals. They lost, but they went. Dave Dombrowski, Red Sox are currently a wagon. Could win 116 games. Probably won't now after their little losing skid against Cleveland. But still, you know, 110 wins is huge. And Cam Neely, the Bruins lost in the second round of the playoffs. So... Granted, they lost to a very good Tampa team, but they still lost. Uh, and it's not like losing in the Super Bowl or the Conference Finals. You lost in the second round. So, I get it. Uh, belief that team is changing for the better. Bruins were third on this list. So, Red Sox, 75%. Celtics, 70%. Bruins, 43%. Revolution, 26%. Patriots, at 19%. Now... Thing with the Patriots is you look at them and you say, well, they're pretty much the same. They've pretty much been the same for a couple of years. You know, the pieces change a little bit, but you have Tom Brady, you have Gronkowski, you have Edelman. Defensively, you know, you have McCourty and you have Hightower. And those guys have kind of always, they feel like they've always been here for the past 12 years or so. So I can see where people are saying that. And I think that's when people look at DeBrusque, Donato, Bjork, Heinen, hopefully Zaboro, hopefully Sinitian. And they say, yeah, the Bruins are definitely going to change for the better. So maybe that, again, is where that kind of boosts up. And and then they break down each team. So we're just going to talk about the Bruins real quick. So Bruins overall great. Between an A- and an A+, was 30%. Between a B- and B+, 47%. Pretty agreeable. Pretty agreeable on my end. Do I give him an A minus? Maybe. Do I give him an A or A plus? No. I would say the highest I, I'll give them is an A minus because of the season that they had. Um, but I don't. I would say anywhere from a B, B to an A minus. Perfect. They were a very good hockey team last year. They were a very, very good hockey team last year. It's a huge improvement from the year prior, which is 6% of respondents gave an A grade. So it's huge. Most admired Bruins players, you'll be able to guess them right away. Bergeron, Pasternak, Rask, Chara, Marchand, in that order. 
what surprised me was Bruins players, Bruins player who did not meet expectations. David Krejci, 19%. Okay. Feels a little, a little, I don't know. Doesn't feel right, I guess. Rick Nash, 15%. Okay, he had a concussion. Like, what do you people want? Brandon Carlo at 10%. No. False. Brandon Carlo was really good for the Bruins, and his injury proved that he was a vital piece of that defense. Matt Bolesky, 8%. Okay. What was the expectation for Matt Bolesky this season? What was the expectation? There wasn't one. That's the expectation. There was no expectation for Matt Bolesky. Most people didn't have them make have him making the roster. And it's kind of reminiscent of David Backus. Because when you look at the projections for opening night, David Backus is really hard to put somewhere and feel confident that he's going to play really well. Because if you look at guys like Donato and Heinen and Bjork, we're going to say they're all healthy. Based on what uh, Bruce Cassidy said in an interview, it looks like Bjork's going to slot back into that first line like he did last year before he got hurt. Pashnak's going to be on the second line, which gives you a wonderful trio of DeBrusque, Krejci, Pasternak. It evens out your scoring. It's not a one line. Uh, it's not a scoring heavy one line. You know they now have to worry about a thirty goal scorer on the first line, a thirty goal scorer on the second line. It gives you that kind of Penguins attack where you have to worry about Crosby or Malkin on the ice at all times, not Crosby and Malkin on the ice at the same time, if that makes sense. So I get it. So where does David Backus sit? Because realistically, is Dan Heinen a fourth-line player? No. Is Ryan Donato a fourth-line player? No. Is David Backus good enough to center a third line? Maybe, but he hasn't played center in a couple years, it feels like. So maybe he's not. Is he the type of guy you want on a third line as a center? Would you rather have a young guy like Sean Curley as your third line center? But if you answer no to Donato or Heinen being fourth line players then where do they go? Because yes, Ryan Donato could could and would light up fourth-line guys or third-line pairings. Although most of the time with a fourth-line, you have a first-line pairing out. You know what I'm saying. You know what I mean? So if you feel, or if you answer no to Heinen and Donato being on the fourth line, you don't have a spot for David Backus. And when you look at this roster, that that's what you're looking at. You're looking at a guy who necessarily doesn't have a spot, but you pay him a lot of money. And are you going to put a guy who makes $6 bucks a year for the next three years per year up in level nine? Doesn't seem like the Bruins would do that. Bruce Cassidy might do that, but it seems like the Boston Bruins 
wouldn't do that. And really, I think what this does is it goes back to roster composition. And I feel like we've talked roster comp forever. I feel like that's really all you have to talk about in the summer is, you know, the composition of your roster. Because what else are you going to talk about? I mean, really, what is there? It's August 23rd. Training camps haven't started yet. Soon, a couple weeks after Labor Day, I believe. Obviously, Labor Day isn't, what, two weeks? So after Labor Day, they'll start. But you look at the Bruins and there's questions, man. Bottom six. You know, bottom six forwards. Bottom four pairings. You got some questions. And I don't know, or I don't think the answer is in Providence. Eurovacaninen? Probably not going to be ready. Jake Zaboro should be ready. But as we talked about two weeks ago in the Corey Pronman of the athletic article on where he slots, his IQ doesn't really seem to be that good. And that's scary. That's scary when you have time and money invested in a first round pick, you know, a middle of the first round pick who you thought would have been probably producing at the pro level by now. I mean, given kind of the arc of where he went, you would hope that this is the jump, but it might not be. He might never make it. You know, he might be your six-pairing guy. The six-pairing, your sixth guy, your bottom-pairing guy. So defensively, you look around, you say, okay, Chara McAvoy, again, Chara's 41 years old. He can't keep doing this. I know he works like a stallion, and I know he has those Instagram videos of him jumping over one-legged, uh, jumping over hurdles one-legged. I can barely get up and walk over my cat some mornings. But he's also 40, 41 years old. It's an 82-game season, plus whatever he plays in the preseason, plus whatever he plays in the playoffs. You could realistically look at 90 games, 100 games. It's a lot. It's a lot at 41. So for him to play 19, 20 minutes a night, at, you're asking a lot. And people wonder why at the end of the season he looks tired or he looks slow. Because he's logging, you know, 16, you know, 1,000 minutes, 1,600 minutes. If he plays, you know, 20 minutes a night, we'll say. It's a lot. So then you have more and... Probably Carlo if he's healthy, if he's back. And then Krug and you can't even do that because who who are you going to sit down? Are you going to sit down Matt Kreslick? Probably not. Kid has showed flashes last year. He really came into his own last year. Kid looked really good at times. You're going to sit down Tory Krug? Nope. He's your best scoring defenseman. He's your best offensive defenseman. He's your power play specialist. And it's okay to pay a power play specialist. It's okay to pay a, a specialist. I don't get I don't get the hang up of people who are like, well, you can't pay him five million dollars. He's a third pairing defenseman. Yeah, but he's also an elite number one power play defenseman. Elite. He had almost sixty points last year. He was one point shy. That people will pay that out the yin yang for a guy who can move the puck like he can. 
who has vision like he can, who can score like he can. He's really... People underestimate his offensive pro- ability when they compare it to his defensive ability, but his defensive ability still gets better. And I think his defense improved last year. I don't I don't really uh, understand why people like to dog Tory Krug so much or want to trade him. Who are you going to trade uh, Tory Krug for? Artemi Panarin? Maybe, but then, but then what do you do defensively? Brandon Carlo can't stay healthy. Let's call a spade a spade. You know what I mean? Can't stay healthy. He has not finished a season in his career at the pro level. Adam McQuaid, come on now. Kevin Miller, come on now. Offensively, come on now. And you can't put it on Matt Grizzlick to be your power play guy. You can't. It's just not going to happen. So to think that'll happen is a little disingenuous to the player and to yourself. Look inside yourself. Don't be disingenuous to yourself. But I just think that, I don't know. I think the Bruins defensively are in trouble. And I think they have a lot of the same clones of each other. You know, Miller, McQuaid, Moore, kind of the same shade. And it's just like your bottom four, it's kind of a mess. You know, do you take more and Krug, Carlo, Greslick, more Krug, Miller, Greslick, more Carlo, Miller, Krug? It's so many questions. And carrying eight defensive defensemen. Wow, that is that is not something that I would really like to see my hockey team do, to be honest with you. Carrying eight defensemen is a little excessive in my eyes. Yes, it helps for injury. But you you know, the Bruins last year traded for defensemen to help with injury, to help with depth. Did it work? No. It seemed like people got hurt left and right. Kyle got hurt. Tory Crew got hurt. And they were really scraping the bottom of the barrel to try to get guys up here to play defense. And they were struggling to do it. I want to switch gears here a little bit. Uh, so Colin Beswick over on Twitter, twitter.com slash, or I guess just at cbeswick writer for the Stanley Cup of Chowder, hosts their podcast, does a really great job, really nice guy, big fan of him, he's a big fan of us, you know, little little bromance brewing, uh, so that wasn't a pun either, get it, you know, Bruins, uh, so he, he asked for, what is your spiciest Bruins take? So I said, what could I, what could I do to spice this up, to really make Twitter upset with me. I said, it's perfect. We're going to slag on Jake DeBrusque. Boston hockey, Boston Bruins Twitter's favorite person in the world, Jake DeBrusque. So I, I said to him, and I do believe it. I said, Jake DeBrusque is going to regress from his rookie season. And actually didn't get a lot of hate for it, surprisingly, because everyone loves Jake DeBrusque. Someone sent me the thing of, 
him doing the jersey thing against the Leafs. Don't get me wrong. When I say a guy like DeBrusque isn't is going to regress, it doesn't mean he's bad. It doesn't mean I don't like him. What it means is I just don't know who this player is yet. He's a good power. He will be a good power forward in this league. Straight up. He hit. He plays hard. He hits hard. He has a knack for the front of the net. Seems to really be able to drive on the half wall. Plays really well. Plays really big. You know, for a kid who's, what, 22? 20? I don't know. Well, let's say 22. Yeah, let's go 22. He's 22 years old. Um, but he plays really well. I just think that what you see in a rookie year isn't always what is going to pan out for the rest of someone's career. You know, Brad Marchand's a great, a great, uh, the hell's the word I'm looking for? God, I can't speak today. I'm, I'm really sorry, but he is a, he's a great person to look at when you look at his rookie year to what he is now. His rookie year, he played on the fourth line. He was a grinder. He was a rat. What is he now? 35 goal player. Still a rat, but 35 goal player, superstar in the NHL, core of the Boston Bruins. And then you look at a guy like Andrew Raycroft. Andrew Raycroft won the Calder his rookie year. And then a couple of years, you know, then there was a lockout. And then he was traded to Toronto for Tukarask. And then never heard from him again. I believe he played in Dallas maybe a little bit and played in Toronto. And that was it. So you can never really look at a guy for one season and say that that's what he's going to be. So I said he's going to regress. And, you know, I do somewhat believe it. I hope he doesn't. You know, I hope he's... I talked about it on this podcast. I think he's his ceiling is a 65-point guy, and I think there's nothing wrong with that. You don't need all of your players to be 80-, 90-point guys. You would love them to be, but they're not going to be. So if Jake DeBrusque is a 65-point guy on a second line, you'll take that. You'll take that money to the bank all day. All day. All day. So someone asked me on Twitter... Uh, I forget the name and I apologize. They said if Jake DeBrusque mimics his season last year, would you be fine with that? I believe last year he had, um, I can pull up the stats, but I'm not gonna. You know what? No, I, I should. So he had 16 goals, 27 assists, 43 points in 70 games. That was a rookie year. That's a good rookie year. So he said if he mimics that, would you be happy? I said, sure. Absolutely. Like I said, I think his ceiling is 65 points, but realistically, year to year, 45 to 55. You if he gets 45 to 55 points, I'll be I'll be more than happy. And I think that's good. So that was pretty much my spiciest take is that DeBrusque might not DeBrusque is gonna regress. And regression could be 40 points. It could be I mean, I don't think he'll drop below 30. I don't think he'll be below 35. Honestly, I don't think he'll be below 40, but it's a spicy take. So if someone wants spicy, you give him spicy. You know what I mean? You don't say I want spicy and just get mild. Not dropping mild takes for everyone's reading pleasure. I'm going to drop 
spicy takes. But I think Jake Dabrowski is really good. I think what could hinder Dabrowski's performance is that teams are going to have a lot more video on him. They're going to be able to study him, study how he plays, study what beats him. You know, it's hard for uh, it's hard when you have a rookie who kind of breaks out towards the end of the season and in the playoffs to get a lot of tape on him because there really isn't any. But what DeBrusque did against the Leafs in the first round really showed the type of player he is, but teams are going to be able to watch that. And they're going to be able to watch him, and they're going to be able to come up with some sort of game plan to limit him. You know what I mean? So... I don't think you're going to see the Jake DeBrusque who's going to be able to free wheel and deal guy that we kind of saw in the playoffs. And I don't think people are going to look past him like Toronto did. I think that they are going to challenge him. They're going to make him challenge them or vice versa. They're going to challenge him. And those are, some, those are things you have to overcome. They don't call it a sophomore slump for a reason. There is reasoning behind that. Sometimes a player gets a little too lazy. I don't think DeBrusque is a lazy kid. I don't think he'll get lazy. You know, if you look at the way his dad talks about him and how his dad has worked him, I don't think he's gonna—he's not a lazy kid. I think he'll be fine in that aspect. But players get lazy. Players get complacent I is probably a better word. And sometimes it just doesn't click. I think DeBrusque will be fine. I think he might regress a little bit from last year. I mean, I think he will. I think you can expect regression from most of your sophomore kids because it's natural, and that's okay. They're 22, 23. If they were 26, 27, and they were still regressing, that's bad. But is 22 your prime? No. You're still learning the game, still learning the pro game, pro speed. You know, 25, 26, 27. Yeah, there is your there's your prime. So I think DeBrusque will be fine. I just also like to just rile people up because I'm kind of a jerk like that. And everyone knows that. <laughs> and I think everyone kind of expects that. But yeah, I mean, very much enjoying. This is more of like a a fireside chat of a podcast than an actual zany days of your podcast. So if you are looking for something to really... I don't know. If you're looking for us to be on natural craziness, it's kind of tough by myself to be the crazy host because uh, I don't have anyone to play off of. So I just get to kind of sit here and gather my thoughts and have a little sit down. It's a sit down with Pez. Didn't do I. Uh, we didn't do off the post. No questions from the fans this week. I've been on vacation, so I've also been kind of lazy with all my stuff. Complacent. Greg Zell, complacent. My rookie vacation, <laughs> complacent. So, I hope you have enjoyed the podcast. I've enjoyed recording it. Sorry, it's not very long. But I'm also not really sorry because it's August. And do you really want to hear me talk for an hour and a half about hockey? Probably not. Probably not in August. Probably not ever. Uh, if you uh, want to in, you know, engage in some different content, 
I do stream on Twitch, twitch.tv slash P-E-Z-E-L-L-O-4-X. P-E-Z-E-L-L-O-4-X. You can follow us on Twitter, twitter.com slash daisyor. Facebook, facebook.com slash daisyor. We do appreciate you. Uh, thank you for listening. I hope you have a wonderful weekend if you're listening to this on Friday. I hope whenever you're listening to this, you have wonderful days ahead of you. And we will talk to you next time. Yeah.